I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And today we're going to do a season wrap up. And so my name is Paul. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we're not doing that. You're super white. <laughs> okay, no, no rapping. No rapping. Um, well. Our plan for this season wrap-up, we've been talking about it for a while, and our original <laughs> plan for it was... One episode. Yeah. <laughs> One episode, season wrap-up, do it all. Hey, guess what? We have so much to say we that were... we can't keep it all in one episode. <laughs> yeah. Or it would be like four hours long, you guys. So we decided that it's better to record, to release a few slightly shorter than usual episodes rather than to release one much, much, much longer than usual episode. Yeah. So this episode is uh, just a tiny, so short, it's only like 45 <laughs> minutes of us talking. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so we, when we recorded this, we thought it was going to be a segment in a longer episode, so there may be some references to let's keep talking about... Yeah, um, anyway. Now you understand why that is. We're going to do the season wrap-up as a couple of different episodes. And what are we talking about in this one? This one, this first one, we're going to be talking about all the characters. And so we're going to dive into the different characters and let's get into it. Okay. All right. So do you want to talk a little bit more about each character individually and their arc? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, we're going to start with David. Right. And David kind of goes from crazy to not crazy and back again. And so he's all... I mean, a major thing, right, that happens with David is that he specifically had the big revelation in the first episode that he isn't mentally ill and he isn't schizophrenic gets undone by the end of the sixth episode. Yeah. And then goes... Or even the fifth episode, I think. And then comes back again. So... Yeah, well, and, like, he journeys from, like, being in Clockworks to being at Summerland, doing all this memory work, and yada, 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 and the devil with the yellow eyes coming out, to back at Clockworks, and it's not the real Clockworks this time, but it's back in, you know, mental, Ill, dealing with mental illness again. And even we talked about this when we talked about episode eight, that even between episode seven and eight... He, in episode seven, has that big moment of, I'm not sick anymore. Mm -hmm. And then in episode eight, he's like, oh, but maybe what if I was sick, though, still? Mm -hmm. Right? Excellent. Yeah, exactly. And I think even in terms of his clothing, we see that throughout, it reflected in his different shirts that he wears of, like, the tornado and the round peg and the yellow triangle. I'll take him through those stages. So in terms of David's personal growth like there's a lot of sense in which he comes he goes in a circle he comes back again to where he was mm -hmm. um is he stuck in a cycle has he grown as a character has he learned something i mean he's learned facts well definitely he's learned how to control his power like when you think about the first episode and how he made the kitchen explode and then he made like the whole interrogation room explode he had no control at right. all over his power. And at the end, he's floating over things. And That's the major image of him in control of his powers. Yeah. It's like cross-legged, meditating, floating. Yeah. And he's learning how to... An image of someone with full control. Yeah. But even though he has all that control, he still is... Uh, I mean, 
he still is controlled. All that control doesn't come the way Melanie says it's going to. Mm, absolutely. And it doesn't come... He yeah. definitely goes about it in his own way. Like, he doesn't follow the script of anyone that anyone expects. Mm-hmm. Even us as the audience. So it's a, his character arc is about uh, self-actualization. Mm-hmm. It's about discovering for himself who he is. And a lot of the story of David in this season is other people telling him who he is. And the big one of the things that's really powerful about his scene with his rational mind in episode seven is that's himself telling him who he is. Yeah. And that's what actually makes a difference to him. Yep. Nobody actually ends up successfully explaining him to himself. Yeah, that's true. Very true. He he ends up helping himself. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. So what about uh, Sid? So what do we see? I mean... In the first episode, I remember us talking about her and saying, like, man, I hope she gets more agency and personality soon. And sure, and she definitely did. But, you know, her, uh, she definitely grows in agency throughout. In terms of her as a, her role in the show, she definitely gains agency and gains personal depth and nuance and she starts off being just someone for David to be in love with and she ends up being someone who's a worthwhile person on her own. Mm -hmm. Is that, do you think, a reflection of her own character growth or is it just a reflection of the show showing us more of the character that was there all along? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I do think she grows, but I also think she stumbles. Right. Because when David is under the control of the Shadow King and is taking her to the White Room, she very much goes along with it and is like, yeah, we can attack Division 3, and then is lost when, oh, David goes and does that by himself. Yeah. I mean... And then I feel like she regains that when they go to the mental clockworks and she is smart and figures it out, and when Carrie tries to tell her what's going on, she already knows, and she... I don't know, she like feels like, oh, I realize what happened here. I realize that I've been conned by the Shadow King, or she doesn't know it's the Shadow King, but by this other presence, and I'm figuring it out. Right. And the experience of being conned once is what gives her the insight and the mm-hmm. perspective that allows her to avoid being conned again. Exactly. You think about her as an individual. Like, when we're introduced to her, she's already pretty perceptive and Mm -hmm. pretty you know self-confident and where David ends and in some ways she's self-confident I suppose but where David ends that is self-actualized I'm the one who defines who I am Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that's where Sid starts yes that's very true yeah her her first scene in Clockworks of of like telling him he's not mentally ill and tell him being like yeah yeah or even like telling him he is mentally ill, but like that doesn't mean he is, needs to change, yeah. right? She's not doing the same thing Melanie is about you're not mentally ill. Yeah. But she is saying like lots of people are mentally ill. Picasso is meant like mm-hmm. who it's, says you need to be normal. Yeah. Like it's a different. It shouldn't stop you from living your life. Right. And she, so if she starts where David ends, mm-hmm. then where does she end? She ends, I mean, when I think about her in the first episode versus the last episode, you have her being kissed by David at the end of the first episode yeah. and her choosing to kiss David right. at the end so of the she's... last episode. And so it comes full circle, but it's this time it's her choosing 
for choosing a body swap to to solve a problem. Yeah, and the whether first it does time, or not is up for debate. But I think the yeah. first time she does that is in episode four out of eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she in episode four, the the undiscovered is the one where she touches. Walter and right. switches bodies with him on, on purpose, purpose. Yeah. which is the first time we see her using her powers on purpose. Yeah. And by episode eight, she's using her powers on purpose too, because she has a plan and a ideas of how to proceed. And she's not only using her powers on purpose. I really like what you just said about she's kissing David. So mm-hmm. she's exactly what once was her passively being her Passively being kissed, but also her, passively her powers being activated, uh, unbeknown to David and unintended by her. Yeah. To the same two characters, the same act, her actively using her powers to solve problems. So yeah. there's a real difference in yeah. she's was self-actualized in such a, uh, I hate it as a dumb buzzword but yeah. it's a useful term, <laughs> it's useful to term she starts out the season self-actualized mm-hmm. but she ends the season using her agency to change the things around mm-hmm. her which is not the same thing yeah. what about melanie what do we say about melanie's journey during this season hers is very interesting in that she starts off as this like mysterious secretive person and i think i mean she ends off that way too in a way yeah. but she, you get this impression of strength and of running this whole place, and that all just like slowly chips away as we discover how much she is just holding it all together while she waits for Oliver yeah. to return. You she, know, like I feel like she's she's holding this whole mutant school or whatever it is, Summerland, together to like like she's a placeholder for Oliver. I mean, she thinks of herself that way. I mm-hmm. think, yeah. And that's what is definitely a aspect of a character that does not is not apparent at first. Mm-hmm. This is another thing about, like I said, with Sid, is that something with that we're noticing a way that she has grown and changed, or is it something that the show has revealed to us mm. that, that was always an aspect of I her think, character? I think with Melanie, it's much more the show has revealed it to us. It's definitely all the stuff with Oliver is just slowly revealed how more and more pathetic she is and like and I don't mean that in terms of like she's terrible but just all the pathos that is there of her missing her husband and this dedication to him when we start off with her we noticed in the first couple of episodes how much of her wardrobe is symbolic of her being closed off she wears the sunglasses Mm. she wears the gloves we um, turtlenecks right after she's closed off in her wardrobe just like Sid is mm-hmm. um, and she is less in her wardrobe closed off by the end of the season mm-hmm. she's not wearing the sunglasses anymore certainly That's true. Uh, she still has turtlenecks and that kind of thing but I don't yeah. think she's wearing gloves by the end of the mm-hmm. last episode which she is but um, we are learning things about her set about her does she grow as a character change learn grow Wait, we're learning things about her as a character, I said. In uh, the mental clockworks, the way that she's depicted in mental clockworks, like she looks older and mm-hmm. she's not, she plays with her hair and she's kind of childish and weak. In, yeah, are she's, we both, seeing, she's both old and young in that. Yeah. Are we seeing there something true about her character? Is mm. that our... I always felt like we were. 
that that was kind of a little bit this truth about like they all it, all, it feels like all of them are revealing a little bit of truth about themselves in in the clockworks in like the mental astral plane clockworks but and her revealing her um her dependence on Oliver her dependence on knowing that Oliver is alive her dependence on thinking Oliver is alive and maintaining that illusion even though we know it actually is true we know he actually is alive but maintaining that illusion is very important to her and I mean, we know that he actually is alive, but also we know that for practical purposes, he may as well have been dead for the past 20 years. Yes. And she is living as if uh, she's, like you said, she's a placeholder. She's doing, you know, the cliche of it's what Oliver would have wanted that she never actually says. But we kind of discover that mm-hmm. she started Clockworks with Oliver, mm-hmm. who isn't there and... And who is a mutant where she isn't. Yeah. If we continue to think and believe that she doesn't have any mutant powers, then why would a non-mutant be running mutant island or whatever? <laughs> Summer, <laughs> it's yeah. uh, Summerland. Because she's personally and emotionally invested in it mm-hmm. because of Oliver. Because of Oliver. And so his importance to her personally grows throughout, and it is an instance where... This doesn't always have to happen, either in real life or in fiction, but for Melanie specifically it does, that uh, his presence diminishes her. It's interesting, I'm just realizing that it's like Melanie is another character with someone else inside them. We mm-hmm. have Carrie and Carrie inside of each other, we have David and the Shadow King inside of each other. Melanie, the, Oliver isn't actually inside of Melanie, but he... His memory is in is in her, and his uh, his voice is in is in Summerland, and she holds on to him like he is a part of her, like he is Carrie to her Carrie. And the what she imagines that he wants, or what she imagines about him, controls her actions in a real way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. I almost want to see, like, can I extend that to Sid and Potomomy as well? The duality. I mean, Sid often has a duality in that she can possess other people. And Potomomy maybe doesn't have that duality. He has memories that he can go into, but... I mean, what Potomomy, when you are in someone else's mind, Potomomy is the shadow king to other people. Like, he goes into that. That's a good point. He doesn't have people in him, but he is in other people. Yeah. So everyone is kind of, yeah. Inside someone else. Inside someone else. There's a lot, I mean, we talked about this, the inside-outside thing. Right. It's like layers of inside. Um, do you want to talk about Potomomy next? Yeah, let's talk about Potomomy. We started the first couple of seasons, the first couple of episodes, mm-hmm. we loved Potomomy. Yeah. Like. Loved. He was my, I would have said by about season, by about episode five, I would have been like, Potomomy is one of my favorite characters. But... I don't love his arc no. this season, and I'm looking forward to next season and seeing where they take him, because all of a sudden, episode seven, when suddenly they're escaping from Astral Plane Clockworks, and he is completely sidelined. He's not even there. And he's, uh, and then the next episode, the last episode, he has uh, got a gun, and he wants to shoot everyone, and he's a Mr. Violence, which isn't out of character entirely, but... It just seems like I was really surprised at what happened to him in the last two episodes. And I was yeah. unsure of what they, why that happened. Especially episode seven, the monster appears that he is so... His violent desires in episode 
eight, if I ruled the world, mm -hmm. might be more satisfying if they were more motivated and explained, which they might have been if he had a greater presence in episode seven. Yeah. But he disappears in episode seven. Mm -hmm. And I wonder whether it's something as simple as he had a role in episode seven, but it ran long and they decided to cut That's it. That's exactly what I wondered too. Because it seems like, I mean, if we talk about his growth as a character and we want to maybe let's talk about his growth as a character up till episode six. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is, like, I agree. He's Mr. Friendly at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. He's so friendly with David at the beginning. That scene where he's offering David milk mm -hmm. in uh, Road to Nowhere. Yeah. And he gradually, we commented on this in each episode as it went, but gradually he uh, is more and more unnerved by David mm -hmm. and less and less friendly with David. Yeah. Specifically with David. Um we see throughout that he's, uh, you know, pragmatic. We see throughout that he's thinks of this as a war. Mm -hmm. The first appearance of him, he's like holding a Tommy gun. Uh, yeah. And he and Carrie are the like uh, foot soldiers of Summerland. Yeah. Way back in uh, Happy Jack, they're the two who are like hunting down, who were at the hospital and are hunting down David. And, right. Yeah. Um, his purpose. His uh, he and Melanie are very together and of one mind to a point until suddenly she's so dedicated to David and then they all of a sudden they start diverging. Right. And she, he starts resisting what Melanie wants because it feels like up until this point he's been very much like, I am your foot soldier, I'm your, this is a war that we're in, I've been here. We don't know how long he's been in Summerland, but it seems like a good while. I mean, and if her main thing that she does is memory work, and he's how she does memory work. Yeah, like, exactly. He must and be there for a long time. Even in the uh, Road to Nowhere, it says, you know, you do memory work with me, and then you do talk work with Dr. Bird. So they're, like you said, about two minds. They're mm -hmm. two halves of how this works. Yeah. It makes him almost as... Uh, Crucial as Melanie. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of, like, yeah, his personal character, it seems like he's shrink he's getting less and less sympathetic and mm -hmm. when i say sympathetic i don't mean we have sympathy for him i mean he has sympathy for others yeah he's getting less sympathetic through the season yeah until episode six in clockworks uh when he's suddenly really friendly again mm -hmm. we see friendly photonomy talking to david specifically yeah we see again without his memory of all this weirdness mm -hmm. He's friendly and he has affinity for David and he wants to be David's friend. And it's yeah. all about, like, that's what underneath all the unsettling weirdness, really, Patonomy is someone who should be friends with David because he's a friendly guy and he likes David. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, so I think that's all very satisfying and compelling. Yes. And he disappears in episode seven and episode eight. He reappears without really a character-based purpose. Like, yeah. Though I do think, like, I don't think his his need for violence just appears in episode eight. It's been there all along. Like, he has been that person. And he is, and he, and we saw early on that he's very dedicated to this war, and that this war is bigger than David. Right. But maybe he doesn't see, the way Melanie sees David as useful, as a tool mm -hmm. to be used. And, I mean, maybe this is too much of a leap, but there is a sense of maybe, like, 
jealousy. Yeah, that he used to that. be the tool. That he used to be, yeah. That he used to be the David, he used to be the powerful mm-hmm. guy, and then suddenly he's like, Oh, you and I are card tricks compared to what this David guy can do. Yeah. I just really wish we'd seen something of autonomy in episode seven, and maybe they'll release a extended cut one day. That would be amazing. <laughs> if you're listening, Noah Holly. <laughs> <laughs> We would love to see more and more and more. So let's talk about Carrie and Carrie, and I think it's appropriate to talk about them both at once. Yes, absolutely. What's going on with these two? Well, I feel like when I look at their arc over the whole season, that they start very much as two halves of the same thing. They're each other. This this is completely this codependent relationship. Symbiotic, (laughs) they call it. Symbiotic sounds good. Codependent sounds bad. Yeah, I think symbiotic rather than codependent. But by the end, you maybe realize that they're actually two whole people. Hmm. And Carrie, female Carrie, is struggling with that and is trying to find her identity and trying to find who she is and her identity. And uh, as a young woman who is a lot, who has become a lot younger than male Carrie. She's at that stage of really trying to seek out where, what her identity is. Mm-hmm. And when she's, and she has that abandonment for like two episodes that she's abandoned and she just is all anger and, and everything and, and resentment. And yeah. Rebellion. And I mean, definitely in terms of my audience member relationship with them, in terms of what we see of them rather than how they grow as characters, like I'll say outright at first, I did not care for female Carrie, mm-hmm. or care for or about female Carrie. Yeah. It was like male Carrie, Bill Irwin immediately made, was compelling to me and I mm-hmm. wanted to watch him and I was into... Yeah, he was very charming. He was very charming. Female character, when female Carrie, when she first showed up, it was like a couple of episodes in, we'd met. Mm-hmm. Like it was, um, it's not until The Undiscovered, which is episode four that we really start to meet yeah, Carrie, who she is. find out who she is. Yeah. Like she's been in the background a bit yeah. in the previous episodes, but it's episode four that she gives her speech in the woods about giving her backstory and everything. And there's a bit, even though episode four isn't that far in. It's halfway through when it's made episode Exactly. Season. So as an audience member, I was like, you know, who's this new chick? Yeah. I don't, like, I don't care about her very much. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, and then... We get more and more of her, and she gets fleshed out more and more as, like, she's the Carrie that we end up spending more time with. Yes, absolutely. By the end of the, by the, end of the season, I'm trying to think about whether what I'm saying is really true, that we spend more time with her than we do with the other Carrie. But I think for the last four episodes, we spend more time with her than we do with the other Carrie. Mm-hmm. And she becomes... Exactly as you say, instead of just an aspect of male Carrie in the background, she becomes, for the audience, fleshed out as a real character who has real existence. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is relevant to what's happening to her internally as a character, that she's growing, discovering herself as a person and how she exists apart from the other Carrie. Well, and male Carrie is also experiencing that because she's leaving, it seems like for greater periods of time than she had before. Right. And he's, so he's having to discover like, what am I when she's not there? And when she's hurt and shot, how does he, he reacts? So like shocked of like, 
I thought about me dying first, but I never thought about her dying first. And we get, you know, and he takes on her pain and he takes on all these things from her, even though she's the one who's rare, less spends less time out of his body. Right. And in the undiscovered, uh, Melanie and male Carrie have a little conversation where he says, you know, she says, do you miss her? Mm -hmm. He says, yeah, is that silly? Like he's not used to, having her even in that section that amount of time he's not used to or he doesn't like having her away for that amount of time and in the retrospect that's foreshadowing right that in episode seven and eight they're separated and he misses her more and more and more yeah like looking at it their relationship from his side he's almost in physical pain he misses her by episode eight yeah and that's there's a sense of him there's a sense of her discovering her independence and her I like this way you put it, that they start out as two halves and by the end there may be two holes, because there's a sense of her discovering her personhood apart from him. Mm-hmm. And there's exactly the same for him. And it's, you know, I there's a strange metaphor of parenthood happening, that mm-hmm. like she's her own person going off into the world on her own and he has to learn to let her go, even though they are still connected and they're still... Yeah. joined in a deep and meaningful way, he can't continue to treat her as if she's just an extension of him. Yeah, and she's, it's like he's experiencing empty nest yeah, for the first exactly. time, and it's like a deeper empty nest than any parent could ever experience, right. you know, is this, because she lives inside of him. Do you want to talk about Amy? Yes, a little bit. She, oh. like Potomy, kind of disappears at the very end. She's not really in the last episode at all. Yeah, no. So she doesn't exist in the last, in the last episode. episode, which was a little disappointing. But I mean, there's only so many threads you can yeah. have, and I don't think that's a bad. You know, I don't question that decision. But I hope that we get more answers next season because there was definitely a lot of unanswered questions with Amy. So, in terms of Amy's kind of character growth, there's a couple of things to say about Amy, and I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically Amy's relationship to David. Maybe we should hold off and talk about that when we're talking about the relationships in the show, which I think we should talk about specifically. Yeah. But in terms of Amy specifically, think back to Happy Jack where she comes to him on his birthday and she cares about him but also eats his cupcake in front of him. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, kind Ah. of carefree. She eats his cupcake in front of him. And then in, when Whoa. she's mean Amy, she eats his pie in front of him. I and just never said it, but I didn't even notice <laughs> yeah. it. I just hadn't even made that connection before. That it's like, even as nice Amy, she eats his food in front of him. That's really mean. Yeah. And he's like, does it taste good? And she's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, she doesn't seem like she's being malicious about it at the time. I said, I'm the one that said it, but I didn't notice it until... <laughs> You're right. Oh, man, that's crazy. And that's I mean, that's kind of a side note for this conversation, but my mind is suddenly blown. So, I mean, she you can think about the, that, though, because in Happy Jack, her first appearance, she's, you know, kind of thoughtless. Yes. Like, she's there for him, but in a thoughtless kind of way. And I said carefree, I think, a second ago, but thoughtless is more what yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's true. Like, not... Uh, and we can compare the, her to eating food in front of David. Like, she goes perhaps from thoughtlessly mean to in the mental hospital, she's 
sadistically and purposefully mean to him. Yeah. And she also goes from being kind of, you know, unfocused as a character. She's yeah. like not, she's kind of there to talk to him, but she doesn't really know what she wants to say. And she doesn't really know why she's there. And she doesn't yeah. really understand what's happening to being very traumatized. She gets more and more frightened throughout mm, the season. Absolutely, That's kind of her yeah. major character arc is frightened. And she gets, I think her big character moment is in the Division Three prison when she realizes or admits that she has known all along the truth about David. Yeah. And so all both her kind of thoughtless indifference in some sense to him and her malicious sadistic streak mm-hmm. and her fear are all in some sense motivated by guilt. Yes, absolutely. She just feels so guilty for knowing what he is and not doing anything to help. Right. Absolutely. I'd love, to, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens with Amy in season two. Yeah, me too. Um, and I mean, she gets one of the biggest reveal moments, which is great, is despite being a fairly small role overall in this in the season, the great reveal that King is was they never had a dog was such a big thing and she I feel like she did a really good job of like it leading up to that and that being, you know, a crucial moment in the series in this yeah, in the whole series. If we want to talk about Amy, I mean maybe we've already covered this, but mm-hmm. just if we want to talk about Amy as a character and her growth, I think the other big important thing to say with flashing lights is how her cruelty in mental clockworks is this facet of her character that we would not have suspected was there mm-hmm. but i think we can in the same way that we saw we in the same way that melanie's childishness reveals something that was beneath melanie's exterior all along amy's resentment and mean streak directed at David is something that was there all along. Yeah, absolutely. the fact that she starts off by eating his food in front of him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. She doesn't... I was going to say one more thing about her is that she is motherly. She takes on this very maternal role to David, as we've kind of said all along in this podcast, but she doesn't want to be. Yeah. She's yeah. resisting to that. She doesn't want to be his mother. <clears throat> and she, she wants to live her regular life. And and she feels horribly guilty about that. Yeah. Because she feels like she has to raise him. I think you're exactly right. She, For reasons unknown. She, do you want to talk about Walter? Let's talk about, a little bit about Walter. Yeah, he's not a big character. But he, by virtue of dying in this season, we saw his entire... You know, this is his entire character is all we is what we've seen so far, unless he magically comes back, which this is based on comics and comics people come back. But I don't think so. I doubt, I, don't I, doesn't, think so. I really doubt that Noah Hawley is the kind of person to bring back a person that they've died. So uh, Walter doesn't necessarily arc, but we definitely get more information, mm-hmm. especially when they go to Mental Clockworks. Um, whether it's true or not, this, like, he was a late developer, He, which possibly means he got his powers late, he likes power, he wants to have power, but he never really, like, he's never really in charge. He works, no. he's like the lapdog of Division 3, and then he's, yeah, so 
and what exactly are his powers? I mean, they seem like they're a grouping of powers that shouldn't necessarily go together. Yeah. Like the ability to change his face mm-hmm. and the ability that we see in The Undiscovered where he puts his hand on Potomomy's head and knocks him out. And invulnerability to bullets. And invulnerability to bullets, apparently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions around Walter that I don't know if we're ever going to get any answers to. And we don't need to. Like, yeah. a lot of, the thing, like, with the carvings can just be a character detail that adds color and texture to his characterization. Absolutely, absolutely. That doesn't necessarily need to be explained and hashed out ever in the show. And I don't, I won't feel like we're missing out if we never get it hashed out. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, greater depths to Walter hinted at. Yes, and I think that's the sign of a good writer is when you are left wanting more. Yeah. I think that's always a sign of, you know, maybe Noah Hawley knows exactly who Walter is and has a backstory for him and knows all of his powers and everything, and maybe he doesn't. But a writer who can give you the sense that they do yeah, is a good, sure. is a very good, uh, good thing. Did, I'm sad that he died, mm-hmm. to be honest. I'm still a little upset about that, but I feel like it was an interesting and well-done death. <laughs> so interesting but and gross, but I'm sad for future us because it feels like maybe part of the reason he died was to make way for the return of Clark. And Clark isn't as good of a character. He's interesting and he's good, but like Walter had this history with Summerland. Clark has a history with David. Yeah, Clark has a history with David. I mean, I wouldn't say that Clark isn't as good a character. I wouldn't agree with that. But I would say he's a very different character. Mm -hmm. Clark doesn't have the malice that Walter does. No, absolutely not. Even at his most malicious, Clark is, you know, sympathetic Mm -hmm. in a way that Walter never is. And there's a value to having this, especially as a henchman type. Yeah. There's a value to having someone who is not sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And this time I'm using sympathetic in the opposite way. (laughs) We have sympathy for him. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and like, where does he get his perm done? That's the question (laughs) that I'm met. It's it's naturally curly. (laughs) Where does he get his perm? He does it himself. (laughs) Mackenzie Grady has straight hair. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to see pictures of him with straight hair. He's on it. Yeah. You can check him out on Twitter. Um, we should maybe talk, I don't know if we have more to say than we just did, but about Clark as a character. Mm -hmm. He appears only in the first and last episode, and yet, because of that, he's the bookend character, and his character development and growth are become, in retrospect, like a major aspect of the whole show. Yeah. And and because they show us that whole sequence with him, what he's been up, like, the what's been happening with Clark this whole time. Right. Thing. Which makes us feel like, oh, that was important. What's, you know, what's this other thing that's been happening? I mean, we talked about this in our uh, in our discussion of episode eight, If I Ruled the World. Um, and maybe we don't need to rehash too much because he's only in the two episodes. Mm-hmm. Our, our retrospective on his character really fit in that one episode in episode eight. Mm-hmm. But he is this character who, like many other characters, we know very little about and then by the end, we know an awful lot about. And he's also this character who, again, has a... Oh, I mean, we said this in episode eight. He has someone else inside him in a literal sense that Division Three is in his head. Yeah. And also in a symbolic sense that he uh, 
is this agent in a burgundy suit who is enacting the uh, will of this malevolent corp, uh, government agency. Mm-hmm. And inside that, he's a husband and father with a home life and a family that he cares about. Yeah, and we definitely. see that presented as one person inside another. Yes, but absolutely. Specifically, that's presented to us as inside mm-hmm. him, there's this other him. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. So the major character we have not yet talked about is <laughs> Lenny. What could we possibly say? I don't say? know. I don't know if we can say something, anything a lot about that just because it's extremely complicated that we go from Lenny in Clockworks, who is real Lenny, to Lenny in David's head, to also the devil with yellow eyes and the angriest boy and the dog. Mm-hmm. are all the same person. And the development of that is so is such a slow burn, but a fantastic reveal. Yeah, and, and it's a slow yeah. burn of twists, right? Yeah. That suddenly we understand something that we've been seeing all along that happens a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it makes us reevaluate her character. I mean, if we think about is... The major question I have is, is... Lenny, the Shadow King, a character. Mm. You know what I mean by that? Like, Aubrey Plaza is playing several different versions of Lenny, Mm -hmm. and the Shadow King manifests as several different things. Is there anything, is there a meaningful sense in which we can actually even talk about Lenny being a character? Or is it, there's no point in even, like, is she a... I think we could talk a little bit about the Shadow King being inside of David, going from uh, this devil with yellow eyes who kind of appears in his peripheral vision to full-on manifesting in control, driving David around like a puppet. Mm -hmm. That when we first meet David, he's definitely not aware of or... uh, And the Shadow King is definitely not in control at all. Mm -hmm to learning how to control very quickly and what the catalyst of that is David's David's arc, but the catalyst is also just like the Shadow King growing stronger. And and by the end, for the Shadow King to choose Oliver is a very strategic, brilliant decision. Mm -hmm. And that I feel like is he doesn't choose another baby. He doesn't he knows now not to do that. He chooses an adult who he can, whose memory is yeah. messed up, and so he's mentally, mentally um, vulnerable. He's mentally vulnerable, and Shadow King can take advantage of that. There's a sense in which uh, the Shadow King, the manifestation of the Shadow King, going from the yellow, deep, the devil with yellow eyes, to Lenny, or if we go chronologically in David's life, going from King the Dog to a picture book character, to the devil with yellow eyes, to Lenny, paradoxically, the Shadow King is becoming more human Mm. throughout. Yes, you're right. Like, it's a shadow, it's the devil with yellow eyes, but by the end, it's It's a person. It's his friend, and it's a person, and we end up learning the devil with yellow eyes, when it's first introduced in the show, is this, like, uh, motiveless, motivationless, terror figure Mm -hmm. and by the end someone with petty desire to get back at 
David's father. Like, yeah. she has very human motivation. Yeah. And she has very human uh, personality. And we see by the end that she, you know, can't have... That she lacks self-control. That she... A lot of the ways that they... A lot of the ways that they can fight the Shadow King and a lot of the way, advantages that they have against her, such as they are, come from her human weakness and that she's mm-hmm. you know she yeah. goes from being she's got arrogance yeah the way a human does and that arrogance is ultimately going to be well sort of her downfall but it'd be not downfall yeah yeah she's got all of her i feel like her arrogance and her lack of uh restraint mm-hmm. are two important things that we learn slowly about her and that paradoxically really humanize her at the same time as they like she's not human. They talk about her as it and whatever, but yeah. she ends up being petty. Yeah. And pettiness is so human. It's so human. You're <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, that pretty much is everybody. Yeah, there's some minor uh, characters minor that characters I don't think we that, yeah. maybe we'll talk about in a future episode someday. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us for that first of our Legion Season 1 wrap-up episodes. Next week, we will not have a season wrap-up episode. Instead, we will have an interview with Denny Gordon, who is the director of episode seven that we have called The Monster Appears. Uh, Between just you and me, my favorite episode of Legion. Mm -hmm. And it's very exciting. I'm very excited that we got to interview her. She reveals some amazing things about what happened. She does. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there for the interview. Right. So it'll just hear Paul interviewing her. So I'm just excited as you are about hearing this interview. Yeah. So tune in then. Uh, Until then, thank you very much for joining us. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. You can find us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. You can tweet us with your thoughts about the series. We'd love to hear what you think about Legion. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear what you think about Clockworks. We'd love to hear what you think about how your day's been going. Uh, you you can, can email us, too, about those things. Clockworkscast at gmail.com. And if you feel like supporting us, leave a rating or a review on iTunes. Five stars or more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, it only goes to five stars. But I know you like us more than that. And you can support us more directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Our official website is goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. Thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye.